Welcome to the latest edition of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson coming to you from the Fairfield Inn on the north side of Atlanta and Matt from Chicago recapping Notre Dame's 23-17 loss at Georgia last night. Um, Matt, it, before we hit record, it sounded like uh, the atmosphere of the game came through on TV. I can tell you being here in an open-air press box uh, on that night, it was uh, it was incredible. You, you felt like you were watching a, an NFL playoff game, um, not just a, a regular season college football game. It looked awesome, um, and, and yeah, it's always you, you never know how that's going to translate both in person uh, to on TV. But you know, I, I've said this before to you. I, I, I love the show. I love all the pyrotechnics. I, I think there's a line sometimes that too many, especially pro stadiums, tend to cross in terms of trying to turn their atmosphere into much more of like a rock concert than, than this organic great gathering of ninety thousand people. Uh, but that just looked freaking awesome last night, at least on TV. Yeah, I mean, the environment, the game rose to the level of the environment and exceeded it, frankly. Um, you know, the, the LED lights that they put on, um, you know, some of the more traditional stuff with the, the cell phones and the uh, flashlights. I mean, the tailgating scene was great. Um, I could say, like, the people that I interacted with from Georgia, from a fan perspective, um, you know, if they if they took sort of the uh, hospitality of Notre Dame seriously from two years ago, they really showed it. Um at least in my interactions with them around campus and, and in the stadium. It was just – it was an awesome game. I mean, it felt – and I, this was like sort of the crux of what I wrote last night. It was a heavyweight fight, but you have to have two heavyweights to have a heavyweight fight, and I think Notre Dame showed that they were one. And I'm, I'm – you know, look, I picked them to lose by 20 points. I was wrong. Um, I think Notre Dame showed me a ton, and I think as much as people can sit there and say – well, they didn't need to prove anything because they proved it at Florida State in 14. They proved it against Clemson in 15. They proved it against Georgia two years ago. Notre Dame has to prove it every damn year. Um, this is this is not the Notre Dame team of two years ago. You have to go out there and do this again. And they did it. And I, even though they lost the game, and I'm not going to get into like moral victories and all that kind of stuff, but this is Notre Dame's ceiling this year was to me it wasn't the playoff it was 10 or 11 wins and going to a, a new year six bowl and they absolutely showed that they have that in the tank and I, I don't think after the first two games either of us sat there and felt like yeah this is a double digit win team for sure saturday night even though they lost i felt like they were uh yeah i picked them to lose by six so i'll pat myself on the back for that i didn't think it, <laughs> i didn't think it'd be that close i had 34 28 i thought it'd be a backdoor cover but i also got a, a happy text from some relatives who were in vegas uh who i told to put money on them uh who also uh forgot to put in their northwestern but i told them to take so everything's coming up fortuna this weekend from that regard uh <laughs> but i uh i am with you i mean uh, to me it was very telling and i don't know if you saw this after i'm watching it on tv and they're interviewing kirby smart on the field um in the midst of all the chaos on the field when, when they just clinched the victory. And he said, basically, you know, I feel bad that someone had to lose that game. I feel bad that a quarterback had to lose that game. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Notre Dame because they had to listen to so much talk coming into this. And, and that was just so uh, surprising, I guess, for me to hear an opposing coach in, in the heat of victory uh, basically say, like, yeah, a lot of the crap Notre Dame's been taking from the public is, is not exactly called for. Now, look. Obviously, it serves him pretty well to, to talk up the team he just beat as well. But uh, I just thought in the heat of the moment for him to go out of his way and say that uh, was very, very telling and I think was kind of in keeping with the theme from the night. I mean, I don't think – it was a situation that I, I don't think at least I had prepared for in terms of like, look, we, we thought they were probably going to lose this game, some bigger than others. But 
you know, I felt like if they got run off the field like they did against Clemson, Alabama, that would be that. We'd hear the same old tropes and, uh, you know, you move on from there. This was a situation where I think Georgia was clearly the better team. Notre Dame needed a muff punt to, to, to get that first touchdown, and it didn't really do a whole lot offensively till the very end there. I mean, even the first time against Georgia, uh, the only touchdown they got was a result of a Jake Fromm fumble deep in his own territory. Uh, so I, I think it's clear that, like, the best team won both of those games. Uh, and yet, given that Notre Dame had a chance to win, both in 17 and obviously last night, uh, you're in this kind of, like, no man's land where, like, no one's really fuming. And yet, no one's talking trash to Notre Dame anymore. And, and you know, we could get in this later in the pod, but but that also brings up the whole like, what do you play for this season? Is the playoff still on the table? What's going to have to happen for that kind of thing? Because I, I think everything is still theoretically out there for Notre Dame right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like, I didn't hear Smart's interview because I'm down on the field, but for DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, to be hugging it out with Notre Dame players and. Uh, Lawrence Cager did the same thing with Jalen Elliott and Ian Book. Like, this was – Georgia, I think, had its eyes open by Notre Dame a lot, and I think they respected what they saw coming at them, um, you know, for four quarters. I mean, Notre Dame's – I thought their their run defense was outstanding. Um, su- su- really, really surprised me. Uh, and then I thought that, you know, for Ian Book to throw it 47 times – and not get sacked was incredible to me because I, I I thought that Notre Dame's offensive line had really sort of kind of underachieved a little bit the first two weeks. And I, I don't say that in the sense that they were bad. I just think they have a chance to be really, really, really good, and they haven't been. Um, you know, if you take out the procedural penalties, which you cannot take out, but if you did, um, I thought that they played – as. It was as good a performance as you'll see from a team that only ran it for 48 yards, um, or sorry, 46 yards, because the Notre Dame knew they couldn't do it. Um, I, I just thought that, that both lines really showed well on Saturday night, and and when I say the defensive line, I'm sort of lumping the linebackers in there from a, a run defense perspective, because uh, I thought the linebackers played uh, played an outstanding game against the best back they're going to see all year by far um, in DeAndre Swift. And that's, um, you know, we can talk about this later, but the, the the biggest difference between Notre Dame and Georgia right now are guys like DeAndre Swift, where Notre Dame has to uh, scheme up a four-yard run for Tony Jones, which feels like it takes 87 things to go right to happen, and DeAndre Swift can just go hurdle Sean Crawford no problem. Um, you know, Notre Dame needs more guys like that. And it's, if, there were, if there was something that you would feel – like um, sort of alarmed about Notre Dame. Alarm is the wrong word, but just in the sense of like, this is something that might not get fixed um, this year. It's just sort of the, the lack of offensive skill maker, skill players. Um, you know, Michael Young coming back, Jafar Armstrong will come back uh, for Michigan, or I'm sorry, for USC. That's the expectation is Chip Long will have a full deck by USC. If that happens, um, you know, Notre Dame's margin for error goes up a lot. Um, last night, they had a very small margin for error uh, you know, two book uh, interceptions hurt that. Obviously, you get the, the muff punt was huge. Uh, but uh, Notre Dame sort of, from an X's and O's standpoint, I thought they were outstanding. They were Notre Dame's coordinators were better than Georgia's coordinators last night. Um, that's But you have to have that if you're Notre Dame. If that That's a requirement um, because you don't have guys like DeAndre Swift to sort of get you out of plays that, uh, you know, don't work. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was – 
I, I, I forgot until you just said he booked through the ball 47 times. That's, yeah, maybe alarming. I mean, at least if you told me that coming into the game, because everyone I talked to in the Goog the week up was kind of, we know what we're up against. Uh, you know, we need to make sure this is not a one-dimensional offense. And we need to take some of the pressure off Ian Book's shoulders. And they weren't really able to do that, and yet still had a chance to win in the final minute there, which I think says a lot about the state of the program right now. You talked about getting healthy and getting a full deck. Thank God Cole Komet came back. Holy cow. I mean, <laughs> that was uh, uh, that was a really, really impressive showing, penalties notwithstanding. I mean, uh, Notre Dame played – I don't want to say as well as you could possibly play, but, I mean, when you look at the, the breakdown, I mean, they averaged 5.3 yards per play versus Georgia's 5.7. I thought that defense was just so, so sharp. I mean, there were no real busts. They tackled really well in space when they had the opportunities. Uh, they just never really let it get away from them. I mean, they, they probably wore down a little bit at the end, but, I mean, we kind of all expected that to happen sooner or later. And, look, Jake Fromm is so freaking accurate. I mean, the touchdown pass to Cager was a thing of beauty. The, the, the even prettier one, in my opinion, came, I think it was at the end of the third quarter where it was a third down and long, and he got chased out of the pocket and threw it to the back of the end zone when uh, Tariq Bracey uh, uh, knocked it loose. I mean, that throw was just on the money. You could not have asked for anything better than that. It, it, when he gets a little bit of time and, and those receivers uh, get just enough room, I mean, that, that guy is going to make you pay. And uh, I, I just think, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, skill talent for skill talent, you could just tell that it, it just came a little bit easier to Georgia. And no matter how many injuries Georgia suffered, even on the line last night, uh, there was just always someone there to to almost mask that and make you feel like they're not going to miss a beat. Whereas Notre Dame, uh, it was a struggle, at least offensively, pretty much throughout the night. And we figured it'd be a struggle, but uh, games like these really highlight uh, the recruiting misses or whatever you want to call it over the past couple of years. I mean, uh, we, we can make fun of star rankings all we want. At the end of the day, the team that has more five stars than the other is going to be in a better position to win. And that ultimately, I think, was the difference. Yeah, you mentioned, I want to just get back to the, the book, 47 attempts. Like, to me, that was that was a, an encouraging sign. Not a, I took that more as... Notre Dame thinks that Book can put the game on its shoulders. Um, it, I also took it as Notre Dame knows it can't run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was impressed with Chip Long's sort of, um, in, so, in some ways, conceding that before the game started, opposed to like sure. hitting everyone over the head with the fact that like just stop giving it to Tony Jones for two yard mm-hmm. runs. Um, you know, in a in a game where you ran sixty one plays. You can't waste plays like that for the sake of balance. Um, and so I thought, I mean, look, Notre Dame sort of had Georgia off balance for a lot of the game with a game plan that was three to one pass. You know, when it came to run or pass, Georgia knew what was coming and Notre Dame was still had some success. I'm not saying they marched up and down the field at all because they did not. But I thought that I was just really impressed with uh, Chip Long being able to go into a game where he's he said I'm a run first guy and I like to take play action shots and him be able to put together a game plan that worked that was completely the opposite of that. I'm pass first and then I'll I'll run just to sort of keep you honest here or there, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat anybody over the head with a ground game just to say that I did. Um to say that I'm balanced for the sake of being balanced. So that was that was good. I mean that was sort of inspired in the way that um you know if you make a, a personnel change after a loss like you're having that um, that change made for you, um, whereas this one, I think Chip Long sort of got ahead of it. Um, and then, you know, Clark Lee 
as good as Long was. I mean, Lee was Lee was better. Um, that was because G- Georgia's material at the offensive skill positions is outstanding. And you know, for for how much how much did we hear about George Pickens going into the game? Um, and I was excited to see him. And he had zero catches for zero yards. You know, that's I I. You know they they overcommitted to the run, which was smart. It was necessary. They knew Georgia would kill them if they didn't. Uh, and then they sort of relied on, okay, what's our biggest strength? It's our secondary. So let's see what you got. And they did a great job. I mean, it's it. I think Jake Fromm is. I don't know. Is he underappreciated by Georgia fans? I, I sort of got the vibe around Georgia that like they're like ah, you know, we you know kind of like the the five star Justin Fields types. Um, uh, they Notre Dame said Jake Fromm, all right, go out and beat us. Jake Fromm did, and at the end, Notre Dame was like, "Well, okay, we right. can't take away everything." You know, you know, fair play to you for some of these back shoulder fades, which were almost like indefensible. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought that that's just sort of a, a rambly. Notre Dame has two really, really good coordinators. I know we talk about that on the show a lot, but um, I thought that that showed big time on Saturday. Yeah, if you think back to last year, I remember Stu and, uh, and Bruce were talking about that on the Audible, who's kind of the best coordinator team in the country. And I think you know Clemson was far and away the winners because those guys sure. are so good and been there so long. But, I mean, I, I'd put Notre Dame's current crop right there as like two or one B or whatever you want to call it because I think that highly of them, and that's what helped them, give them a chance to win the game last night. I, I do think the offense got – there were times where I think, and you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I didn't care for the flea flicker. I, I thought that was a, a a risk not worth taking at that time, especially given how it turned out. I thought at the end of the first half they mismanaged the clock. Uh, they, they basically let thirteen seconds run down before they decided to call a timeout when they should have done it immediately. And I know it ended up getting to fourth down anyway when they kicked that field goal, but uh, I think you need to be a little more aggressive when you're on the road and take another shot at the end zone or give your quarterback a chance to take another shot to the end zone by giving him more than nine seconds basically at the end to just loft it in there. Um, so I thought those were a couple of potentially missed opportunities for the Irish, but uh, overall you can't really complain too much about what they did. And, you know, did they dare Jake Fromm to basically beat him. He did. Uh, it, it's funny. I mean, hearing you relay anecdotes from Georgia fans about how they feel about Fromm and I can't help but think like, shoot by next year, Clemson fans will say the same about Trevor Lawrence just cause he'll be a three year <laughs> starter. And like, once you're there so long, it's just like, that's just not normal anymore, right? These guys usually play one yeah. year as redshirt sophomores, and they're off to the NFL. Uh, it, it's almost like a coach who's been there too long. It's just like the, the excitement almost of something new wears off, and you look for things to nitpick. But I, I have a hard time nitpicking uh, with Fromm after last night. I mean, 20 of 26, made all the right throws, uh, was super accurate, uh, just just knows what he's doing. Uh, and obviously was comfortable in that kind of, a, of home environment. And, uh, the, I, I don't know if they made that big of a difference because at, at the end of the day, I think the, the best team won this game. But uh, it's still a little head scratching me that we're in the tenth year of the Brian Kelly era, and they're setting records for penalties uh, in a Brian Kelly game, which is how many years as a head coach now? Thirty, twenty nine. Um, yeah, it's pushing twenty nine, thirty. It's um, that that part's tough for me to wrap my head around, especially when all you heard about all off season, all this season was. How much they're preparing for the atmosphere? How much they're preparing for this? I, I get it. It's tough. It's not easy. It's 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 uh, 
I can't imagine trying to communicate um, with that noise bearing down on me. Yeah, it was and, impossible, and I was in the press box. And yet, I, I feel like you, you got to do better. I mean, and these were seniors committing most of these penalties. These were not um, rookie mistakes or whatever. These were uh, these were guys you should be able to to rely on to be a little bit sharper in these kind of environments. And uh, from that standpoint, I'm not sure they were. Yeah, and it, that was something I pressed Kelly on after the game. I, I, I wanted to know two things. Did you feel like Book took the step forward you've been waiting to see for nine months? And he said, like, yeah, we're on our way there. You know, I, and I take him at his word there. I, and then I asked about the environment because, you know, after every, all these games, no one wants to credit the opposing environment right. uh, for contributing to where you screwed up. And I get that Notre Dame practice, and they hit 107 decibels, um, which according to Notre Dame in their their Thursday practice, in terms of the sound they pumped in, it was interesting to see Georgia have a decibel meter on its scoreboard because it went over 107. <laughs> um, so maybe they needed to go even louder next time. That, um, but yeah, that was that was poor. I mean, that was to me that was by far the most disappointing part about Notre Dame. It wasn't you know the to me the flea flicker play call or clock management. It was the fact that the players who have played a lot didn't handle that environment and like and I Cole Komet I guess I would give a little bit more of a pass to just because right. he hasn't played in a game in nine months but you know Liam Meikenberg with the the personal foul to start and then a false start Robert Hainsey has a false start um they you know and Kelly Kelly to his credit not not in a gritted teeth biting my tongue fell on the sword kind of way like in a full-on authentic that's my bad way said that you know that they needed to they should have practiced the silent cadence more um because they as soon as you know stress started to to creep into the game i think notre dame sort of went back to its its hardwired training of you know book clapping his hands and you can't hear a damn thing there so that's a waste of time um they didn't they didn't communicate very well in adverse conditions which isn't to say it's going to be crystal clear all the time and you need to be perfect but you can't be that flawed either. Um, you know, one false start or two false start, I think would have been fine. I think you and I would be talking about like, you know, an environment that gets you. That's what a home mm-hmm. field advantage is like. Twelve penalties and I think a half dozen procedural stuff. Um, that's that just can't happen. Um, you know, Notre Dame needs to be a lot closer to perfect in that department to to win a game like this. I agree. And, you know, he actually, you probably haven't got a chance to see it. He said the same thing to Jamie Iredell at halftime when they were going in uh, with the lead. He basically said, yep, well, I I guess I screwed up this week. Uh, Not not working on the (laughs) silent enough when he was winning. So I thought that was pretty telling. But um, you wrote at the end of your story, which I encourage everyone to read along with Seth Emerson's, uh, you ended it by saying, Notre Dame didn't do enough to beat George on Saturday night, but they did enough to make people believe they can beat everyone else. Uh, I would agree with you a hundred percent. I look. At yeah, and I mean game. everyone else on the schedule. Oh, right? I know. Like I, I, oh, I just want. Yeah, I want that to be clear <laughs> that I'm not saying Pete Sampson says Notre Dame can beat Alabama now. Yeah. Well, I, I understood it as that, and that was going to segue okay, thank into you. the next <laughs> segment, which was essentially in 2017. You know, Georgia beats Notre Dame by one point, and look, that was still the second year of Kirby Smart. Um, they were eight and five the year before. The jury was still very much out uh, on what kind of program this was going to be under Kirby Smart. And it was, you know, game two of the reboot of the Brian Kelly era, whatever you want to call it, after uh, the four and eight catastrophe of 2016. I, I came out of that game thinking, holy crap, that Georgia defense might be the best I've ever seen in person. But I, I don't know if this is 
uh, a machine that's well-oiled enough to, to, to make the kind of run that they eventually ended up making. Now, part of that was having a true freshman quarterback start in his first career game and, and getting better and more comfortable as the season went along. Uh, but but I, I feel like I feel, both teams are in better place. Both programs are in a better place now two years later. And yet I, I come away from last night thinking almost the same thing. Like I feel very similar to Georgia um, now as I did about them in 2017, which is to say like I, I, I don't – think that's like a team that's going to win the national championship this year but they're so damn good and deep defensively that they definitely have a shot and they have time to get better especially with uh their october schedule uh i i guess i'd have two questions here and i'm curious to hear what you have to say one do, do you come out of these games and think Notre Dame might be closer to georgia than georgia's to alabama and two does Notre Dame have a real playoff shot Ooh, the, the first one is tough um is Notre Dame closer to Georgia than Georgia is to Alabama? I would. Ugh. I mean, I think it's Georgia's played Bama close twice. I get that, yeah. but Notre Dame's played Georgia close twice too, and so a I lot would, of times these teams are matchups. Say, and, and yeah, I mean, I'd have to say Georgia is closer to Alabama than Notre Dame is to Georgia, um, which is. I kind of mean that as a compliment to everybody. Right. No, I'm with you, but I mean, people annoyed at Georgia coming into this game like they'd won something in the last 40 years, and they still haven't. Like, I, I, they still need to deliver. <laughs> I want you to go on all Georgia podcasts. Well, you can't um, down-talk Notre Dame all week and then act like you won the Super Bowl when you beat them by six freaking points. Yeah, I mean, and like, that was totally evident after the game. Like Georgia <laughs> Georgia had a hell of a lot more respect for Notre Dame after the right. game than maybe uh, some people around here let on before. On the on the playoff stuff, does Notre Dame have a legitimate chance at the playoff? I th- I say they have a chance, but it's not that legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's to me, Notre Dame to make the playoff with one loss was going to require a win at Georgia, but then like a loss to Virginia or something like that. Um, losing at Georgia really puts the SEC on a, a good track for two bids. Um, and if that happens, and Clemson makes it, and then you've got Ohio State and Oklahoma mm-hmm. hanging around. It's tough for me to sit there and figure out, okay, what's the what's the math for Notre Dame to get in? And that that's aside from like whether Notre Dame is good enough to go eleven and one. They could. Um they have the potential to do that. And I'm not sure that I felt that way when the season started. Right. But are they are they good enough to like endure what happens to college football players is sometimes they just don't play well. Sometimes Ian Book's not gonna play well. Um Sometimes the offensive line is not going to, you know, protect him for forty-seven snaps with no sacks. Um, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know if that's true. Um, I, I still, I look at Notre Dame, and I still see a ten-win team. I, I see a team that that's probably going to lose one more game, and I. But as much as people are like, what, what the hell's the matter with you? They just took Georgia all the way to the wire. I'm, I'm of the mindset like my approach is like. This was not a playoff team because it had to rebuild so much from last year, and that and that's fine. Winning ten games is good. Um, a ten and two season would be a successful season for Notre Dame, and I, and it's just, it just sort of gets to like it's the playoff or you suck uh, mentality of college football right now, which I hate. Um, everything has to be through the prism of the playoff. I mean, I I can't get away from it, and I'm trying like hell in my game stories to not write about the playoff all the time, but you just. Like you just can't get away from right. it. Um, and Saturday night felt like a playoff quarterfinal because I I can't get away from the playoff mentality. But it's just like I I'm just like I'm not of I don't buy the whole if you don't make the playoff your season was garbage. Um, and I 
I get that Alabama and Clemson could feel that way, and maybe Georgia can feel that way, but I, I think it's it's healthy for Notre Dame to not feel that way. Um, you can be disappointed if you don't make it, and I don't think Notre Dame will make it, but I still think Notre Dame will have a really good season. That's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, do I think they'll make it? No. Do I think they'll have a chance? Yes. I mean, look, do you I want to be on the ESPN show when it comes out Halloween week? To right. me, it's like if you have a chance to make the playoff in November – that's good. Like, start with that. And if you make it, like, there will probably be eight teams that will have a chance. But obviously but, only four will make it. Right, but um, but here's the thing. I mean, by the time that comes out, they'll already have played USC and Michigan. And the, the rest of the, the back half of their schedule is just not hard. Like, they, they should not lose any of those games. Now, I understand they're college football players and they do dumb stuff and things happen. But, like, if they are in that mix when that show debuts – coming off possibly wins over USC and Michigan, then I think you should expect to at least be in the top six by the end of the year, given the schedule you have remaining. That's fair. I mean, that's right. The timing of the schedule sort of sets up that way. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I think that, you know, if they get through next week, and Brian Kelly talked a lot about this, and I'm, I am, you know, it's like the, the whole, like, the the biggest game is the next game because of the next game cliche stuff, like, whatever. But, in this case, I'm, yes. I'm really actually fascinated to see how this plays out. I agree. Um, you know, when the head coach comes up and says, that was the most physical game I've ever been a part mm-hmm. of in 30 years, that would mean this is going to be the toughest recovery week I've ever been a part of in 30 years. Um, you know, I, I realize Virginia is probably not the team that a lot of us thought that they were going to be this season just based on the style of their results. Right. Um, but – they're they're good enough to come into Notre Dame and win uh, if if Notre Dame can't get off the mat this week. So I'm I'm really interested to see how Notre Dame goes about doing that because it's it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. So you know you said you don't think they'll go eleven one ten and two is more realistic. I would agree, although knowing what we know now and it's only been three four weeks for most teams, I, I look at their remaining schedule and think Notre Dame probably should win every game they play the rest of the year just based on what I've seen. And again. I say that assuming everyone's at full health and that nothing crazy is going to happen October or November, but of course it is. So, I mean, that, that's neither here nor there. But I also remember 2014 when Notre Dame was really thin, especially due to suspensions, and they started 6-0, and and they were a controversial call away from beating the defending national champs on the road in a tough environment. And I remember tweeting something to the effect after, like, wow, like if they ever get another shot, they might have a chance, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, what do you mean? If not, look at that schedule. They're going to win every game, blah, blah, blah. They almost just beat the champs. And I'm reminded of that because it's faulty thinking to look at USC, Virginia Tech, Virginia Navy, whomever, and say, yeah, Notre Dame's going to all those games. They're a better team. Look what they just did. No, like they're also a really thin team right now, and they can't afford to get any thinner because there are teams on the schedule that are capable of beating them uh, on their best day. So I think – Everything comes back to the playoff, just like you said, and it's premature, and I think it's very premature to to make any grand proclamations one way or another right now. But, uh, you know, it, it's impossible not to at the same time when you look at, at what they almost did at Georgia. And uh, I'm with you, though. I mean, look, LSU looks really damn good. Alabama is Alabama. Clemson ain't losing, not in, not in the ACC at least. Uh, Oklahoma and Ohio State, I mean, they look really good so far. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, when they get punched in the mouth. I, I, I actually think Ohio- – I'm sorry, who's who's punching Ohio State in the mouth in the Big Ten again? You watch the Michigan-Wisconsin game, right? Michigan State is one of the best defenses in the country. Now, they, they can't keep up with them. But uh, <laughs> no. Wisconsin, maybe? Penn State? Yeah, Penn State, I, I don't know. Yeah. 
but they do play Penn State and Michigan, I think, back-to-back. Like, that's not an easy way to end the season, no matter how poor both those teams are. Like, they're, they're, they're Look, just... I really just wanted to bring up Michigan's performance there. Can you just <laughs> let me have that? Uh, I think Notre Dame should just fold its football program if they lose a Michigan this year. I mean, <laughs> they are so bad, it's not even funny. Like, and I, I'm not... Like, I was at the Army game. Again, if you can't rush for more than 2.4 yards per carry against Army... Like, you're not beating anyone worth their salt of the Big Ten. You might beat Rutgers next week, but that's probably it. Notre Dame averaged more yards per carry against Georgia. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I get, like, I mean, when you're talking about the 11-1, the 10-2 perception, if you, if, you to, if you could give me Notre Dame's roster as is with no more injuries, mm-hmm. so Crawford stays healthy, Kareem doesn't, you know, have some of the ankle sprains that he's had um, – you know, Drew White stays healthy. Ian Book obviously healthy, and you can give me full strength Jafar Armstrong right. and full strength Michael Young, which they will have by um, USC. If you can give me that, then I, I I'll I'll join you on the eleven and one bandwagon if you want. Um, that, but it's just like it's hard to look at that because like what happened in twenty fourteen? Why did that team fall apart? Injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, they were already you know, thin. MVP. They were yeah. They were already thin going into that because of the suspensions, and then they just had no right. margin for error, and then it all just came apart. Right, and it's like Notre Dame has a lot more depth now than it does then, but they they don't have Georgia depth. Um, that I mean, that was another difference between the two teams. Right. Like Georgia just, just keeps rolling out. They they have like old Julian Oquara and two young Julian Oquaras. <laughs> um, you know, Notre Dame doesn't. Notre Dame has some really good players, but. Uh, you know, it's like if Notre, Notre Dame, you look, you like put Georgia's sort of perspective on here. If Georgia, if Notre Dame had to go without its two starting corners mm-hmm. and then lost a starting offensive lineman and then had another one who was playing hurt, that would be really difficult um, for Notre Dame to hold up. If you know the flip side of that is Notre Dame was decimated at running back by injuries. Well, if Georgia lost DeAndre Swift and Brian Herring, I think they'd actually be fine. Um, right. You know that's uh, that's just a difference between the two teams, but like sort of on the, on the Notre Dame uh, spinning it forward a little bit. I with a full deck, um, I I think they have a very very good chance to go eleven and one um, if if they can use the Georgia game in the right way. Um, if physically it doesn't beat them against Virginia, and then mentally it doesn't wear them down moving forward. Um, it, it sort of depends on how enthused Notre Dame is coming out of this. Are, are they at the level of coming out of Georgia two years ago, and that was something Khalid Kareem um, said after the game. I and mean, he it was not as uh, sharp as Drew right. Tranquil's, you know, we're going to punish teams, but it but it was, we're coming for you. Uh, and that's, if Notre Dame is in that space mentally and they can they can get back to where they were physically, then I think Notre Dame's got a hell of a shot to, to run the table the rest of the way. It's um, it's just, it's there's not a lot of margin for error there, but I think they, 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 they would have the material to do it if they're healthy. I don't know, P. I feel like you're overlooking that game between the Virginia and USC one, uh, Bowling Green. Uh, the Fighting BBGs gave up 62 points yesterday to a Kent State team that needed overtime to beat Kennesaw State. So uh, I feel like they got all their bad games out of their system, and they're going to come into Notre Dame Stadium with a vengeance on October 5th. Which, by the way, they also beat another Van- or lost to another Van Gorder last night. I- I'm surprised we overlooked that storyline going into the game as well. Montgomery, who I believe is a, a GA on the Bulldog staff right now, he is. I saw him. At- I saw him after the game. He went up to Ian Book and congratulated him. Wow. Um, you know, he definitely made an effort to come over and-, and see some of his old teammates here. But uh, yeah. I- <laughs> 
October 5th is my 42nd birthday, so uh, I've asked Notre Dame to let me call plays in the game. So we'll see. <laughs> my my uh, sister-in-law is getting married that day, so unfortunately I'll have to pass. But I feel like I can almost do like a few freeze, like watch it on TV and call the game and, and still have a pretty good chance at, at doing just first and second down plays and coming up with a win. Yeah. Well, I guess – so, I mean, you were, you watched more football than I did yesterday. Um, did, did you – where Notre Dame fits into the sort of the, the national perspective, how, did that did that change a lot for you? I mean, it changed a lot for me being here, but you know, I think that you got you got to see more of like what everyone else is doing yesterday. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm not an AP voter, but I'm a voter in the the uh, FWA NFF Super 16 poll. I had Notre Dame at 10 going into the game, and I kept them at 10. Um, now I wanted to move them up but like just based on the three and four game sample set so far it was really tough to justify them over uh you know wisconsin or an ohio state uh but like these teams are also going to cannibalize themselves like ohio state's going to play wisconsin and uh, you know the loser of that game will probably have another loss but when it's all said and done as well I, we talk about the sec possibly getting two in which i think is a possibility anytime uh you have a team like georgia win a big top 10 non-conference game like they did tonight LSU looks like the best LSU team of at least the last seven or eight years. Alabama's Alabama. The one team, and I think eventually, like, you know, they're going to beat up on each other. Case will be solved. But, like, Auburn has homes away, wins away from home against Oregon and A&M so far. Like, do I think Auburn is a top five team in the country? Probably not. But, like, that's a really tough resume to beat right now. And it gives them – you know, a little bit of margin for error if what if and when they do trip up an SEC play. So I just think, you know, to your point earlier, like Georgia winning, you know, it's not just that Notre Dame loss. It's the team that beat them is probably going to be a factor in this playoff race when all is said and done. And they're going to have probably a mulligan because of this game that Notre Dame's just not going to have. Like the, the schedule this year just doesn't look like it's going to hold up with, with some of the others. Uh, obviously, when you're not in a conference – uh, you, you pretty much have to run the table, barring anything unforeseen. So I just – I think Notre Dame's a really good football team. But, again, to come back to the playoff, I, I think it's going to take a lot of dominoes to fall in their favor um, away from South Bend if they're going to look up on December, whatever it is, and be the number four or three team in the country. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, that's it for our uh... – wrap-up edition of Notre Dame Georgia on the Shamrock. Again, thank you all for listening to our podcast and enduring my terrible pick of the game last week. Uh, you can still rate and review uh, our podcast, which I'm hesitant to even ask after uh, my <laughs> my score prediction, but in the reviews, you should definitely note that Matt predicted that Notre Dame would lose by six points, because mm-hmm. um, that was obviously a, a prescient call on his part. P- so. Pete's going to make up for it by getting uh, the sad Georgia face plant fan on as a guest for our, our, our Virginia fan, I should say, <laughs> for our Virginia preview show on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's an accountant somewhere or something. <laughs> uh, so again, thank you all for listening to the Shamrock, our, our post-game wrap-up of Notre Dame Georgia. You can rate, review, subscribe on Apple iTunes, wherever you get our, your podcasts, uh, and you can follow Matt and I on Twitter. I'm at Pete Sampson underscore. He is Matt underscore at Matt underscore Fortuna, and of course, uh, follow everything on the college football page of the Athletic uh, on both the Athletic and Twitter account. So again, thank you for listening to our latest edition of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening.